Don't you love that the Christmas story, that, I mean, God could have done it any way that he wanted, but he did it in a way that kids can grasp and they can understand. And he gives us his word in Matthew and in Luke in a way that they can join in. Uh, I, I do know that there are probably those in this room that are sticklers for biblical accuracy. You're my actually people. You're the ones who say, actually, Christmas was probably not in the winter. Actually, it probably wasn't the 25th. That's a pagan holiday that we have redeemed. Actually, we don't know how many wise men there were. I get all the actuallys when we do stuff like this from some of you guys. But you know what nobody ever says to me? Nobody ever says, actually, those angels were way too cute. Nobody says that. But biblically, that should be the thing that you're the most upset about. So here's, here's what our angels looked like. I took a picture of them while they were practicing. And I, I just want you to realize that when angels show up on the scene, it causes people to fear. That does not cause me to fear. The only way that gets scary, you want to know what we need to do next year? You, you want to know how to rightly respond to the Christmas story? Parents give every one of your kids in the angel costume a lighter without a child safety on it. Then everybody in the room will have a much closer understanding of what we actually see in the Bible. For that to scare us, you would have to be like traveling by yourself in a hotel. You hear all sorts of crazy noises. The power goes out. You open the door and down a completely like dark hallway with one flickering light, you see one of those things at the end and then it charges at you. That is the only way that is terrifying. But that is the most biblically accurate thing. And that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. The Bible does tell us a lot about angels. I'm going to give you a quick trivia. So maybe make eye contact if your kid's sitting next to you, if your spouse is sitting next to you, that's your competition. If you're alone, that's okay. Out of don't answer out loud. I would, I would hate for somebody to be uh, embarrassed or proud for that matter. Um, how many, there are 66 books of the Bible. How many would you guess angels appear in? Go ahead, figure it out. Share, share it with somebody next to you. See what you come up with. I'll give you a second. All right, correct answer, 35. I don't know how, how you did on that. And more than half the books of the Bible, angels are present. There are at least two that are named can you name them? How many of them can you name? Right? All right. Stokes, you gave us a little teaser because at five years old, you were Gabriel. Is that right? So we have Gabriel. And then we have, anybody want to shout that one out? We have Michael. We know, we know those two. There are a couple of types of angels in the Bible. Do you know what any of the types of angels are? It depends on how you... Some of y'all are going back. Cherub is a little bit of it. We have the cherubim and we have the seraphim. So the cherubim are the angels. Actually, when Adam and Eve are kicked out of Eden because of their sin, God says, hey, cherubim, you go and you block the gate so that they can't get back in. That's who the cherubim are. They were also used when we think of the Ark of the Covenant, displaying where God's presence is. The cherubim are the, the seraphim only appear in Isaiah chapter 6. And our kids memorized longer lines than they have, although theirs are incredibly good. We get this out of Isaiah 6, 3. Seraphim with six wings, they're doing this now. They've been doing it since their creation, are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's, that's really what we're going to be talking about this evening, is how God's glory fills the earth. And then 
depending on how you do it, uh, how you define an angel, there are also these heavenly creatures. If, if any of you guys ever did a study in Daniel or in Revelation, these very odd-looking creatures, they also have a similar line. We read this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's what we know about angels from the Bible. You can read more systematic theology, but that gives you a little bit of a teaser for it. One of the things that's fascinating, though, is from Genesis to Revelation, there are very few times where more than one or two angels show up for any given incident. Now, the text that we're going to look at this evening is one of those. This is Luke 2.13, and we read, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. So a multitude more than you could, almost innumerable. So we just had a handful of them, but in this text, we have an absolute ton of them. And what we're doing in December, you can go ahead and throw up our, our little slide. We're doing a series called Christmasology. If you were here last week, we talked about prophecy, how God's prophecy yesterday assures us of his promises today. And this evening, we are talking about, appropriately so, angels, if you haven't picked up on that yet. Next week, we'll look at the incarnation, which is a big biblical word for the fact that God became like one of us to save all of us who would trust in him. And then I think December 27th is a Sunday. We're going to claim that as Christmas uh, just because it, it, it falls right after the 25th and after everybody's opened their gifts and things like that. Kids are going to be in the service. We're going to talk about gifts, the, the greatest gift that God gave us and how being a gift-giving God calls us to use those gifts to him. So uh, if you would grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to dive into understanding a little bit more about angels as we work through the Christmas story this month. Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Luke 1 in Luke 2 tonight, Luke 2 verses 8 to 20. Now I'm going to read this. It's up to you how you do it. You know, if you want to use your phone, if you want to look on the screen behind me, but I would encourage you with this. Most of us grew up hearing this story numerous times. Some of us may have participated in the telling of this story numerous times. And because of that, it, it can become almost common to us. God could have told this story with significantly less detail. But he is a very creative God, and we are a creative people. So I want to encourage you with this. I'm going to read two paragraphs out of Scripture. If you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. But I would love for you to listen to this story anew. I'd love for you to picture it in your mind to actually go there. So here we go, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, 
pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Pray with me. Father, this day, this evening is worthy of celebration. It's not just worthy of celebration because we are celebrating the Advent. It's not just worthy of celebration because it's December and we're all moving and leaning towards Christmas. It's worth celebrating because you have given us another day to see on display the glory of who you are. Father, you have already shown us so much in the little children that have sung and memorized your scripture and told us your truth. You tell us to come to you like a little child, and that does mean with great faith and and with belief. But Father, I think one of the things that is so unique about children that we tend to forget as adults is they recognize that they have fallen short. As adults, as parents, as teachers, as coaches, so many times we tell them where they fall short and how they need to grow. May we as adults not forget that we have not arrived. We need your grace daily. But Father, in this particular season of life, this year, I think for many of us, has been one of the hardest years of our lives, but we have no less reason to celebrate if we are trusting in Christ. Your word makes it very clear that it is Those who are blind who appreciate their sight more in heaven. Those who are deaf who appreciate the sounds of heaven. The poor today appreciate true riches in heaven. And those who are sick get greater health than we have ever experienced here on earth. And so Lord, would your spirit give us a picture of heaven today. Would you draw toward your incredible grace anyone who needs rescue. And would you show us a picture of heaven so that it would change the way that we live here on earth. And we pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. We talk about Christmas being the season of hustle and bustle. And you can imagine as this story was playing out over the time that it did, the amount of hustle and bustle that must have occurred. We have this random star that appears so that wise men believe that a king has been born. Enough so that another king becomes fearful and changes his reign and begins committing murder. We have these shepherds who have an incredible sight of angels. A woman who is not married, has been pure in her not being married, is now pregnant and how in all of this hustle and all of this bustle does God make sense of it? Well, when Mary needed direction most in the confusing time of her life, it was an angel that gave her direction. What caused Joseph not to leave her when she told him that she was pregnant? It was an angel that said, Joseph, you're not going to leave her. How did they even know what to name the child? An angel steps in when Herod, Luke was Herod, wasn't he? I don't know if you realized he got the bad guy part in the play. Did you tell him that? Yes, okay. Luke, you're going to be the bad guy. Uh, All right, so here you go. When Herod decides that this king is coming, he believes it, and, and he makes a decree that children, that babies are murdered across the land, who is it that tells Mary and Joseph when to leave and where to go? It's an angel, and who brings them back home? It's an angel. 400 years of God being silent. Generation after generation of waiting and watching and listening. And what breaks the silence? It's an angelic host. And so it should not surprise us. It stands to reason. Angels are primarily God's servants. 
If you're looking for a definition, this would be a great working definition. We're going to add to it. But we get this out of Hebrews 1, verse 14. Hebrews is talking about angels, and it says this. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve? It's a great definition of an angel. It is a ministering spirit. It is not flesh and blood. An angel is a spiritual being sent by God on a ministerial mission. Look anywhere in the Bible. That's exactly what's happening. But the next part of this verse, I think, is incredibly encouraging for those of us who are Christians. It goes on and it says, they're ministering spirits sent by God for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Now, I know some of your testimonies. And a lot of you who have a testimony like this say, I can't believe that I'm alive today. My sin had me doing so many things that could have taken my life, ended my life, changed my ability to even live, move, or think properly, and somehow God rescued me from that. Do you realize that's what this verse is talking about? This, as well as Psalm 91, is where the idea of a guardian angel comes from. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, in Scripture, we don't really see that. But what we do find is that for those of you who are Christians... There was a time in your life prior to coming to Christ, before you ever loved him, where God probably sent ministering spirits to sustain your life, to keep you safe, so that you would have time to hear the gospel and respond to it. Have you ever considered that? This is also why an angel never takes or receives credit for something. If we look in our text, Luke 2, in verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord showed around them and they were filled with great fear. We've seen this in other places of the Bible where people who see angels begin to worship them. That is how great they are. That is how glorious they are, this being that has not sinned. But what does the angel say? Don't worship me. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Because if you start worshiping me, you are at best committing idolatry. I am a servant representing a God who is worth your worship. That is not who I am. So in verse 15, here is what the shepherds do. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Check the bottom of the verse which the Lord has made known to us. These shepherds, likely uneducated men, recognized that these angels were not the ones who deserved honor or praise or worship for the most incredible thing they had ever seen or heard in their lives. As soon as the angels show up, they know it was God. It was the Lord. That is who is being represented here. So even though the angels share the basis of our hope in Christ, one who came like us to take the sin that we committed, fully God and fully man, the shepherds didn't have Philippians 2. They didn't have a gear for that in their heads, even though the angels may have come and said, here is a savior and here is how you respond. It's God who receives the glory. How many of you guys go to Callaway Gardens and check out Fantasy and Lights every couple of years? Just out of curiosity, I need to know if this is gonna hit. Okay, cool. How many of y'all have gone this year? They, had a, they changed some stuff up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That crazy tall tree with a bazillion LED lights all synced up. So we love going to Fantasy and Lights and, uh, and we went, what, a week ago, something like that, three days ago? Doesn't matter, but we went and it was great. So we take our kids, freezing cold, and we get in line and we go through and the same lights that they had when I was eight, you know, the ladies dancing and maids are milking and partridges and pear trees and all this kind of stuff. We're going through and we're like, oh, it's beautiful and that's great. And we're kind of crazy in the Hawk family. So we unlock the doors and we let our kids run out and take pictures with the lights. If you ever see that, 
Sorry about that. Maybe I'm not following the rules appropriately, but it makes for great pictures. And so we feel like we know this place, like we've done this many times before. So we're finishing it out, and all of a sudden, traffic stops. And it was a pretty light night. I think we went on a Tuesday. And we're just thinking, why is traffic stopping? We should be zipping through. We're going to go see the nativity. It's going to be great. Well, everybody slowed down because they had this massive tree covered in LED lights, multiple colors, all these different pictures. But what was even cooler than that is this rolling hillside that reached up to the trees. The entire surface of the ground was covered. You really should go and check this out. All right. I, I, I don't get any bonus for this, but you should go and check this out. And this entire hillside is covered and these rolling lights and colors are just flashing and displaying. And it really is a wonder. And we we took, after this, we took our kids to see the nativity and to hear the Christmas story. And I didn't realize this, but one of the Callaways, I don't know which one it was, um, one of the ladies loved Christmas lights. And that's where uh, Fantasy and Light started from. She just wanted to put on the spectacle. And I'm reading this text and working through it this week while we go to see this. And as I'm doing it, I'm realizing this. The shepherds, the shepherds have never seen incandescent light. But if you were to say, hey, do you want to see the greatest thing that we have to offer today? Or this one moment that you had, the shepherds would say, are you kidding me? We heard the greatest song ever sung the greatest song ever sung on the earth. We saw the most brilliant light display that tens of thousands of people would love to see instead. Why? If you don't understand this, nothing else I say tonight is gonna make sense, all right? What is happening here is special because when the shepherds see angels acting on earth the way that they do in heaven, the shepherds know heaven has come to earth. Heaven has invaded this darkness. So angels are God's servants, but we need to add to our working definition this. Angels are God's servants who display that heaven has come. That's what's happening. In the Old Testament, it could be they are displaying that heaven is coming, but this is what angels are doing. They are God's servants who are displaying that heaven has come. Now, I told you that whenever we see angels, there's usually just one or two with a few major exceptions. One of those is the text that we just read, a multitude of angels, but check this out. This is Revelation 5, and God gives John a picture of heaven, and here's what he sees. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb, Jesus, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." myriads upon whatever you have seen the most of in your world in in the world does not compare to what John is seeing countless angels why because that is a representation of heaven and where do we see something like that in Luke chapter 2 when God sends as a baby his own son because heaven has come and invaded earth now that's revelation for you guys that's revelation And we're living in this gospel of Luke. But what if we go all the way to the beginning of the Bible? Let me show you one more cool thing here. This is out of Genesis 28. So Jacob is leaving his home. And in verse 11, we read this. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. 
And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels, plural, were ascending and descending on it. Now, you can make the argument, well, Will, angels could just mean two. But if they're actively ascending and descending, it sounds like there is more than two. We have this grouping of angels. So, Jacob... Do you feel like earth that do you feel like heaven has come to earth? Let's see, verse 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid. What happens whenever people see angels? They get afraid. Actually, there's one person who we read does not get afraid. Does anybody want to guess who it is? Joseph doesn't get afraid because he's got too much on his mind right now because his girlfriend getting married is now pregnant and the angel comes. He's like, please just take me now, right? Like, how am I supposed to figure this out? The only guy that we see in the Bible who's not scared when an angel comes is Joseph. He's like, yes, please. Can, we, can I just go with you? How's this whole thing supposed to play out? So he was afraid and he said, I love this version, this little verse in the Bible. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. What's Jacob saying? Heaven has come to earth. Now, if you understand this concept, that when we see angels on earth acting like they do in heaven, that it is displaying to all people that heaven has come, it changes the way you read the Bible. All right? Let me play this out for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and The earth, all right? Way to go, good people over here, all right? Created the heavens and the earth. And we have God and we have man living in the garden of? Way to go, people. And they are good, right? They are getting along. Everything is hunky-dory and it's wonderful until man sins. He turns his back on God and he rebels. And as soon as that happens, God says, close the gate. This sinful creature can't live forever in his sin. And do you know who he calls? Were you paying attention? Who does he call to block the gate? Angels, specifically the cherubim. And so he says, hey, cherubim, here's what I want you to do. Sinful man cannot live in this perfect, eternal place, this incredible home that I have made just for them and just for me. So the, the, the cherubim stand in between a sinful people and a perfect home for them. That's their job. In fact, God even gives a flaming sword to prevent them from coming back in. It is the angels who block the gate of eternity with God from sinful man. So what happens in redemptive history when God sends his own son so that the gates that were once closed spring open? Who gets to say that message? The angels. Why? Because the same creature that blocked us from eternity with God is used by God to say the gates are open. The Son of God has come. Hope has entered into this world. And even though you have sinned, even though you've turned your back on him, we are here to declare that there is hope and that there is a path back to heaven and a right standing with God. When we see angels, they are displaying that heaven has come and how we can make it back to our true home. Look at verse 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now those three titles have massive implications, but let's just hold on that for a minute and notice this. The angels look at shepherds 
Maybe married, maybe not. Maybe old, maybe young. We don't even know. We don't know how many, they, how many there were, but the angels look at them and they declare this incredible message that all people get to hear the hope that the gates of heaven have been opened up at the coming of Christ. I, I, think, I think when we see this happening, it really displays something incredible for us because if I want to get a message out to you, I find the person who has the easiest access to you I find somebody who has everyone's phone number or everybody's mailing address, and that person's name is Ducky. And I say, Ducky, I need to get this out to the entire church. And she's like, and out it goes on whatever the little MailChimp thing is, right? And then out it goes. And none of you open it anyway, but that's okay. Whatever, I'm moving on. I'm not bitter about it. It's cool. Why does God not give this message to a king who has numerous servants, numerous roads? He can make an edict that everyone hears. Why a few shepherds? People aren't even going to believe what they say. Because more important than the fact that the message has come, which God has been forecasting, he's letting us know that the message really is for everyone. The message of the gospel is for the unlikeliest of people. When I was kicking out streetlights, and not following the Lord and making life incredibly hard for my parents. I'm sorry, mom. When I was doing that, God was pursuing me. And if you're sitting in this room and you feel like the most unlikely candidate of grace, good. That's exactly where you should be. If you have been walking with the Lord and you still look at your life and you're like, why has he not abandoned me? I've done everything that I could. I've responded to this, but, but I, I turn my back on him and I walk away from him. One of the things that we can see when this message comes to all people is that God loves unlikely people. Folks who don't deserve this message. And he tells them that unto you is born a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, one of those three things, if not all of them, is likely to hit your heart tonight. Let me explain what I mean by that. Each one of these titles is massively important. God says through the angels, here comes a savior, someone to rescue you. When you look at your life and you recognize that you need rescue, God says, I've got that covered in Christ. He, he is a savior who rescues and he is Christ the Lord, Christ means the anointed one. It means the only one who ever could. The one, there was one option and it was Jesus. Only God can save us from a God-sized punishment. And so he comes. And if you've ever felt like it was on you, I've got to get this figured out. I'm the only one who can get my life together. The Bible says, no, it isn't. It is a savior. It is Christ the Lord. And I love this because Jesus isn't just a rescuer. He is a ruler as well. That's what Lord means. And so when he rescues us from our sin, he doesn't say, way to go, you're clean. Now go back and keep screwing up. He says, no, now you can enter into my kingdom and actually say no to the very things that cause you to sin. You can get into my kingdom under my rule. So if you're here tonight or if you're listening and you need rescue, that is why Christ came. If you have felt like you have tried everything, that is why Christ came. And if you have been ruling your life and made a ruin of it, that is why Christ came. And this is where I think I get most amped up in this passage. Because angels are God's servants who display that heaven has come, but this is what I get most excited about. 
They display that heaven has come and God's limitless grace. We realize that when we look at angels, they have immense power and yet humility. We look at this creature that the Bible says was created not like God and you were. We're created in God's image. Do you know what happens if I take those of you who are artistic, are artistic and I put you in this room and, and there's paints and canvases? What comes out of that is art. If I take the musicians in this room and I put you in a room and I put instruments in it, this is the most annoying thing about doing sound checks. All of the, like Joe's back there, he's like trying to get levels and you can't get the musicians to stop playing their instrument so that he can get one keyed in. Why? Because if you're a musician and there's an instrument, you're gonna play it. If I take kids and I put them in a room with a bunch of blocks, I can tell you what's gonna happen. They're gonna start building and then they're gonna start throwing them at each other's faces because that is what is in their nature to do. God is a creator and you were created in that image as well. There is one major way that we are different than angels and it is by far the most important thing for us to look, like, look at. We know, according to scripture, that there were angels who rebelled from God. Do you know what percentage of those got to stay in heaven? Zero. Every angel who rebelled from God was eternally removed from his presence. Uh, back it up, Will. Second Peter 2, 4. God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Jude 1, 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Angels know what rebellion is. And they watch us do it every single day. Now, this is why I want you to consider this perspective. We have one passage that we think is pointing to the angel that fell, Satan. That comes from Isaiah 14. If you've never noticed this, I think this may open something up really cool in the way you read the Bible. This is Isaiah 14, 12. How you were fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. So something in heaven fell from its position. Now from this text, we drop down to verse 13 and we see the motivation of the heart of this being that fell from heaven. And this is what we read. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. And then this last one, go ahead and jump. I will make myself like the most high. Does anybody know what that really sounds like? A creature says, I'm gonna make myself like the most high and he's cast out. Do you know where we hear that again? Check this out, Genesis three. A serpent looks at Eve and says this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. The same lie that Satan took in, I can be like God, is the exact same lie that he peddles to the creature that God cared most about. You are created in God's image, the pinnacle of his creation, the, the thing which he cherishes the most. And when this being is cast out of heaven, he says, you know what? In my bitterness, in my separation, the best thing that I can do, the most bitter thing that I can do is try to take from God the thing that he loves, the absolute most. So do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to slither right up to them and I'm going to tell them the same lie that I bought into. 
And even if it causes distress for them and it, my position doesn't get any better, at least I can watch God hurt. At least I can watch the thing that he loves most wither in God's own hands, in his own garden, in perfection. And they can tell themselves, I can be the ruler of my life. I can be the rescuer of my own stuff. I am the only one that I need. I do not need a Christ, a savior, a Lord. I've got this all together. What must the angels have thought when they watched us rebel in the garden? Have you thought about that? Every one of them that rebelled, eternal separation from God. And then we rebel and the angels watched. They watched God's greatest joy, the pinnacle of his creation, one just like him rebel just as they did. They watch humanity point and blame. The woman that you gave me is the problem. This snake that you put here, that's the problem. God, it wasn't me. It was that they watch God punish them. Sweat, blood, and tears for the rest of your life. Separation from this perfect home that I have created from you. You're no longer going to be able to be close to me. And the angels watch it because they've seen it all before. Angels watch God kick them out of eternal life. Angels even hear God command some of them to come and stand in the gate, preventing Adam and Eve and the rest of their children, us, from entering into a right relationship with God. But in the midst of all of this, they notice something else, something unusual, something strange and very unexpected, something that the angels don't even have a category for. In the midst of our sin, in deserving judgment from a perfect and holy God, instead of us dying and being cast out forever, God steps in and he clothes us. Another creature dies forecasting a son who will die on our behalf. And sinful, unholy creatures are covered in their nakedness and in their shame. And Peter tells us what's happening here. In 1 Peter 1, we read things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You've heard the gospel. You have no hope. You need a savior. You need a Christ. You need a Lord. And this is announced by angels to shepherds and more. That message of the gospel is something that angels long to look at. They white knuckle the edges of heaven and they look down because somehow you and I, a rebellious creature, are still breathing today. You're still walking today. You still have a life today. And the angels did not see this when a creature rebelled from God. Why do angels celebrate so much at the birth of Jesus? Because they've seen the whole story. You and I have seen bits and pieces, only what we have seen. And in this story, the angels find the grace that God shows us unfathomable. How can God forgive? How can God maintain? How can he be with an unholy people? He can do that because he sent his son to become one of them. He can do that because his son took the punishment that every one of them deserved. How can a holy God sustain and be near this? Because he chose to invade a broken world like ours with his son. And the angels find 
this size of a grace unfathomable. And my hope is that this Christmas we would too. That we would look at God's grace in a new way. That we would look at our brokenness in a new way and be the first to say, God, I'm undeserving. But you have made it very clear that you have brought heaven down. That the gates might be opened wide through the work of your son so that I can come in. Angels cannot conceive of the grace that is offered to you today and every day that you have breath. Let's pray. Father, when we see what we see in this scripture, we know that heaven invaded earth. But if I'm quite honest, I think most of us feel like we can live and work and move and have our being and be just fine without a rescuer, without a savior, without a Lord. We can do it on our own, or at least that's what we tell ourselves. That's what we're told to tell ourselves, that we've got to pick ourselves up. But you put on display that the greatest message that ever could be given was given to unlikely people. So in this moment, as we stand to worship, may we worship a God whose grace is limitless to a people who are undeserving. And as we think about this story that we've heard time in and time out, as we go through this season and we see commercials or billboards of stars and angels and all of these things, may every one of those things be a reminder that your grace is limitless to those who come to you. And if there are any in this room, any in earshot online who need to respond to that grace, who need to say, God, I feel so far from you. I need forgiveness from you. I want to be drawn near to you. May this be the moment where they are welcomed back into a home that makes sense. This world does not satisfy us and it shouldn't. And it's a gift that it doesn't because it also points to a promise that for those of us who have faith in Christ, who have asked for the forgiveness of our sins, Heaven has not just come to earth, but you are going to take us there one day to a place where all of the brokenness folds away. And day after day, eternity rolling into eternity, we are with the one who made us, doing what we were made to do, enjoying life the way that you called us to enjoy it. Thank you for the grace that you have given us, which is so undeserved. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together.